0: Hello and welcome to Deep Dive from the Japan Times. I'm Oscar Boyd. In early November, 18 months after Japan shut its borders to new entries, it finally seemed like things were moving again. The borders were open to new long term residents and some short term business travellers. And for students like Daniel, this was the first opportunity to move to the country since the pandemic began.
1: I was leaving on the 29th for a December 1st arrival. I had My bags packed, I had gotten my COVID test the day before and gotten the results at around noon, was going to get up the next day and literally do some cleaning, get a sandwich and get in a rideshare to the airport.
0: Like many students, Daniel had been taking his classes remotely. And with the border restrictions relaxing, he was excited to finally be able to attend his classes in person. But on Monday, just as he was preparing to leave for Japan, Prime Minister Kishida announced that the borders would once again be shut to new foreign entrants, dashing Daniel's plans and the hopes of the hundreds of thousands of people like him who are planning to move here.
1: We had class in the evening and then after class we had another Zoom meeting where we were talking about how things might be changing and then as we were talking some of the news came out, people were sharing links. About a half hour after that Zoom it became pretty clear that We were likely not going to be able to go, Uh, so I went to bed around midnight, got about three hours of sleep, and then uh, checked my phone, and then at that point realized it wasn't going, and so I started kind of, in the middle of the night, unraveling reservations and trying to get refunds for whatever I could.
0: And how have you been feeling about the whole situation?
1: Um, I mean, it's the, I think the mental strain has been the toughest part, like just the stress of of running around, getting everything ready. I was really looking forward to just sitting down on the plane and, you know, where you know that where you're going to be for the next 12 hours, (laughs) Uh, flying over the ocean, you know. So that's a disappointment for sure. Unfortunately, if I had left the day earlier, I might have made it.
0: On this week's episode of Deep Dive, Japan Times contributor and cross-cultural communications consultant Rochelle Kopp joins me to discuss the changes at the border and how they are affecting the people who hope to one day call Japan home. Rochelle Kopp, welcome to Deep Dive. Thank you so much for joining me again.
2: Thanks for inviting me. Glad to be here.
0: Well, you're joining us at a very timely moment because once again, there seems to be complete chaos at Japan's borders. This whole episode was originally supposed to be about how the borders were opening up again, but about 20 minutes before we were due to record on Monday, there came the announcement that the borders would once again shut to new foreign entrants. So could we start with you talking us through the events on Monday?
2: Oh, certainly. So there was all of a sudden one of these things that we tend to see in Japan of this thing is coming, this thing is about to happen, but it was in this case... Not a day or two or a week before it happened, but just hours that oh, Japan is poised to not let any non Japanese other than residents into the country. Mm -hmm. And then in the afternoon, Prime Minister Kishida gave a press conference in which he announced that starting at midnight, no non Japanese other than residents would be allowed into the country.
0: And what did this come on the back of?
2: Well, it comes on the back of a very, very long time in which new residents, including students and business people, were not able to come into the country. And finally, in early November, the country had said, OK, we're going to start letting people in.
0: Right, this was the announcement that came on November the 8th that students, technical interns, and short-term business people would be allowed to enter Japan again.
2: Exactly. So there were a lot of people actually getting ready to enter Japan again. Many of them scheduled to be on planes in this coming week that all of a sudden are told, no, you can't come. So lots of people's plans have been thrown into complete disarray, especially after having been not able to come to Japan for so long, finally getting the okay, people were getting excited, their hopes were up, and now to have them dashed again is is very painful for a lot of people.
0: And what was the reason given for the border restrictions being put back in place like this?
2: Well, this was in response to the sudden emergence of the Omicron variant. And so this is a um, recently emerging variant that is of of great concern. Mm. Scientists are still trying to figure out exactly how much of a problem it is, but there are early signs that it could be more transmissible than Delta. And so there's a lot of concern about that. And if you look at it politically for Japan, there were a lot of negative consequences for Prime Minister Suga for not having closed the borders quickly enough in 2020. So I think Kishida doesn't want to repeat that error, and he wanted to be perceived as being decisive. Mm -hmm. And so in this case, decisive meant a sudden announcement and a very quick closure of the border.
0: Right. I think the speed at which the borders were closed was one of the most surprising things about the announcement. The announcement was made mid-afternoon Monday and the borders were shut by midnight that night. How long are these restrictions set to be in place?
2: For at least a month. And I think basically the Japanese government is waiting to see what happens with this variant Mm -hmm. and decide from there.
0: And this will be familiar territory for a lot of people who've been hoping to get into Japan for a very long time because previously we've had things... Extended by a month, and right, right. Rolling, month, and then another yeah, month, and then another month. Yeah,
2: rolling type of things, yeah. So mm. it's, it's the similar thing, yes.
0: And do we know how many people are estimated to be waiting to move to Japan currently?
2: Um, it's 370,000 people. And my understanding that it's about one hundred and forty or 150,000 of those people are students.
0: Okay, so a huge chunk of that population is students yeah. waiting to move here. Right. And... Yeah, I mean, I I guess a lot of them have been waiting since the very beginning of the pandemic to actually move here. So coming up to almost two years for the people who've been waiting the longest.
2: Exactly, exactly. And I think there's a lot of people who've given up in the meantime, Mm. which is a whole other problem and issue. But yeah, for some people have been waiting a really, really long time with their lives in limbo, basically.
0: (laughs) Let's go back to the beginning of November when the border restrictions were relaxed. I think this was a period of hope that Japan was really on the road to reopening. Vaccination rates were very high. Case counts were very low. Right. So at the beginning of November, what policies were put in place at the border? And how did things stand before the Omicron variant caused the recent reclosure?
2: Well, in um, November, the the headlines were Japan reopens, but it was a little bit more complicated than that, Mm -hmm. that... Japan was going to be letting in new residents... New entrants. However, um, not all at once. Okay. That there was initially a 3,500 person per day cap on the number of people who could enter. That had been raised to 5,000 people a day just recently. Mm -hmm. And there was also a staggered entry schedule for people depending on when they had received their initial certificate of eligibility. And so there were some people who weren't going to be able to enter until after January for mm-hmm. example.
0: So at, it was kind of staggered by time. By at that staggered point. So by the, time, the people right. who'd received their certificate of eligibility, the earliest would be, in theory, the soonest to get in.
2: Exactly, yes. Okay. But it wasn't that they could immediately get into the country because there was a whole process that they had to go through to basically reapply. And so there was a lot of paperwork that had to be cleared, that had to be done by the individual, as well as by the institution that was sponsoring them mm-hmm. or receiving them. And so because of that, actually very few people seem to have entered the country because even if you jumped on it right on the beginning of um, November when this came out, there really wasn't that much time. And a lot of people still had their paperwork in processes and weren't able to you know, be approved yet.
0: Yeah. So the restrictions were eased on November the 8th and then reinforced on November 29th. So there's only a three week window where things were open.
2: And that wasn't long enough for most people to do, it, who were even eligible to come right away to actually be able to come. You know, Not to mention, people didn't know when they'd be able to come. And you have to wrap up your affairs mm-hmm. and you know, things like that. And you know, it's, it's very hard for people to turn their lives on a dime, right?
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, tell me a bit more about the bureaucracy that surrounded the November 8th restrictions. Um, what kind of things were people expected to do to actually be able to move here once the borders were in theory open?
2: Um, well, there was the, the applications that they had to do. So it, again, it was a lot more paperwork that had to be completed and it had to be cleared by their embassy in the location where they were, as well as there were other things that had to be um, completed by the ministry that they were involved, You know that, that their coming to Japan was sort of through or, or related to. Mm. So there were multiple layers of bureaucracy, which... It's sort of interesting for me, given that already, in order to get the original certificate of eligibility, they had to have jumped through a lot of hoops. So it's a little bit hard to understand why were those extra hoops necessary. Mm. But in addition, they had to agree to all the entry restrictions. And so that includes um, when you get to, um, to the—well, before you, before you depart, you have to take a Japan-approved test to make sure you don't have the coronavirus. Mm. Upon arrival, you are tested again. There are also apps that you have to put on your phone and be ready to have check-ins from um, the government to ensure that you are meeting your qu- quarantine guidelines. Mm. And then there's quarantine. And um, depending on where you're from, some of the quarantine might have to be in government-sponsored hotels, and then the remainder could be at your home. Mm -hmm. Um, For new students coming in, their universities often told them where and how they could quarantine and told them how much it was going to cost. And so some students were complaining on Twitter it was... Uh, $1,500 or $2,500 for the two-week quarantine, which for a student is really a lot of money and that they had no choice about. So people were unhappy about that. So there was, it was, yes, you can come to Japan, but only when we say you can, and it might not be soon, and then you have to do all these complicated things. So not very user-friendly.
0: But it it did seem that there was some level of hope surrounding this announcement, though. I mean, this was, there was that brief, Period of opening towards the end of 2020. This really was the first significant reopening of the borders since the restrictions came in April of 2020 originally, and I think coupled with the fact that people were vaccinated, etc., it seemed like potentially this opening was here to stay. And okay, it might take three months, but right, we're on the way now.
2: Exactly, especially given that Tokyo's numbers had become so low that it really seemed like, okay, people maybe are going to relax a little bit here. And just as that was happening, then you've got this new thing that comes up.
0: Mm -hmm. Given all the bureaucracy, though, do we know how many people actually managed to enter the country during the most recent three-week window?
2: I have not seen the figures, but just based on talking to people, it doesn't sound like it was very many.
0: Mm -hmm. So to really sum up Monday's announcement then, These new restrictions have basically reverted Japan's border policies to back where they were before November 8th. And until those restrictions are relaxed again, which will be at least one month, no new entrants will be able to come to Japan.
2: Yes, exactly.
0: What kind of reactions have you seen or have you heard from people you've spoken to about the latest restrictions?
2: Oh, just, just, just despair, a lot of anger, a lot of frustration. Uh, a lot of people who are really getting a very bad impression about Japan, so it's very sad.
0: Mm-hmm. Something I've seen people talking about in reaction to this is the confusion and frustration around why new residents are being singled out in these policies. I understand why Japan might want to limit the number of short-term travellers here. But to me it seems that someone who is planning to move to Japan as a longer-term resident and who is willing to follow the quarantine procedures that that kind of person is no more at risk of bringing in a new variant than a returning foreign resident or a Japanese citizen who is allowed to leave Japan and come back. So I'd like to put that question to you. Why is this group being denied entry?
2: Um, To be really honest, I don't think that there's any scientific justification for it. And I really think that it's all political. That this idea of having strong closed borders has become a huge political football on both ends of the political spectrum. And the government wants to be perceived as being tough on border enforcement and that means you have to keep someone out. Mm. And so the new entrants, they're they're sort of the easy group. If you've, you've kept out tourists, but that, that then the next group is the new entrance. Mm. And so I just feel like it's a it's a political thing really.
0: Mm. Well, it seems to defy all logic, especially when you, you know, contrast it with the treatment of Olympic athletes, for example, who right. were able to come all through the summer and were, as much as they are brilliant athletes, temporary visitors to Japan. They right. came for the two, three weeks that they were here and they left very quickly.
2: Right. And and all the and the whole entourages that came with them. Right. And then we also have other groups. We have professional athletes. We have DJs. We have ballerinas. You know, there are all sorts of performers who are being allowed to come to Japan. And so why is it okay for a DJ to come from the United States and quarantine for only three days, mm. where it's not okay for a student to come who's will, who's vaccinated and willing to quarantine for two weeks? It makes absolutely no sense. But the problem is the um, opposition parties as well as the right wing part of the, you know, kind of conservative party, both are talking about having strong closed borders all the time. Mm. And even the opposition made it um, a big issue in the last election. But so it's, it's it does seem strange, but it's just somehow has become a political thing.
0: Mm-hmm. Well to that end is anyone putting any pressure on the government to try and ease restrictions on new entries, if not immediately, then at least once there's a better understanding of the Omicron variant.
2: Right. So I think that there has been a kind of a very consistent voice from the business community, from the foreign business community. Mm. So the um, European Chamber of Commerce, British Chamber of Commerce and American Chamber of Commerce together have been issuing white papers on this topic. And leaders from those organizations have been speaking out in the press and, you know, putting out press releases, etc. So I think that there has been, you know, sort of a, a public relations and lobbying effort from the foreign business community. Mm-hmm. I know that Keidan Ren, which is the Japanese business organization, has been also um, pushing for more open borders. There emphasis has been more on business trips and enabling Japanese to take business trips or enabling non-Japanese business people to visit Japan. But in general, they're hoping for more people to be able to get in. And I can only assume that Japanese um, language schools and universities and other groups that are hurt by this must be talking to their various ministries about mm-hmm. the problems, but you know how much they're able to lobby and how much effect that has is another question. you know, and there has been some you know coverage in the Japanese media of you know Japanese language schools and how the problems they're having. there have been articles introducing students and how frustrating it is. So there's been some coverage, but I think most people are not really aware of of how many people's lives have been turned topsy turvy by this
0: mhm to me this particular round of restrictions seems so especially cruel because they come at a time when japan is doing very well with its vaccination rate it has very low case numbers and i think there was a lot of hope that this opening would be here to stay so do you get the sense that this round of restrictions is or might be the final nail in the coffin for some people when it comes to moving to japan because of the way in which their hopes were so suddenly dashed.
2: Yeah, that's definitely the feel that I'm getting from just just from seeing people on Twitter. They're sort of like, "Okay, that's it. I'm done. I can't take this anymore." I saw one tweet that compared it to an abusive ex who you think is going to change and then they never do. I mean, that's you know that's the kind of analogy that people mm-hmm. are making. It's it's. I think it's really frustrating yeah. for people, and I think this is just sort of like okay, that's it, I'm done, for a lot of people.
0: you know, How does Japan compare to other countries on this issue? Mm Because I understand, for example, Israel, I think, has imposed very strict border measures that are preventing most new entries. Um, And and
2: Morocco also. Mm.
0: Uh, The UK hasn't closed its borders, but it's re-upped some, I think it's re-upped the need for PCR tests before you arrive in the country, which they were kind of playing down beforehand. So there has been reaction to this around the world, but... How does Japan compare to those other countries?
2: You know, Japan is definitely the more more extreme ones. So right now, as I understand, it's Israel, Morocco, and Japan are the only ones that have completely stopped, um, you know, non-residents from coming into the country. So it's definitely on the strong side compared to others.
0: Well, last time we had you on the podcast, you spoke about Japan's pre-pandemic ambitions to kind of really internationalize its universities to show that it was this could have an international student body, and then was actually very successfully doing this pre-pandemic. So I wonder what you think the long-term effects of this policy will be. You
2: know, it's a very good question, because on one hand, this is a pretty devastatingly bad image problem that Japan has created. Hmm. On the other hand, Japan has such strong soft power and there are so many people who are interested in Japan. And the people who might come to Japan to study in Japan if we're looking long term, like 10 years or 15 years in the future, are now small children and not paying attention mm. and might not remember. So I, I wonder what kind of effect it'll have. I mean, I think it is definitely having an effect, but and will have an effect. But I don't think it means that no one will ever want to come study in Japan ever again, because Japan's so appealing that so many people want to come here, right? Mm-hmm.
0: Do you see things improving in the short term?
2: Oh, boy. I mean, it really depends what happens with this new variant and how bad it is. Mm. And so it, without seeing how that plays out, it's hard to say. I, I don't see Japan being in a hurry at this point to let people in. And I think you know, the, the way that they did this particular reclosure shows that you know, politically for the government that sort of throwing this particular group under the bus is not what they're concerned about
0: they're more concerned with projecting an image of having a strong and secure border Against coronavirus.
2: Exactly. And being decisive against, you know, issues with the coronavirus. And, you know, in, in, you know, in tweets in Japanese, I was seeing oh, Kishida, prime minister, had a, um, or made a heroic decision. And so his image of doing that, I think, is a lot more important to him as a short-term political plus than the long-term minus- Related to a bunch of disgruntled foreigners who are unhappy, anyways, and you know, you know, sort of it's almost like a sunk cost at this point, unfortunately.
0: We mentioned that foreign residents are still able to travel out of the country and return to it, but I wonder if these new restrictions have made you think differently about traveling outside of japan
2: you know as a current resident what i would say is this makes me nervous Mm. that who knows what japan would do next and if i were to leave japan what might happen right so it just makes you nervous and there was a tweet yesterday um from japan's opposition that was saying oh well how come residents aren't being bar- barred from coming back? And so, trying to include foreign residents again, like they were in the past, which, of course, from you know, residents' point of view, is kind of a nightmarish suggestion. And they got the, the tweet got ratioed and seems to have been deleted. But um, it, it makes you wonder. It makes you worry, right? Mm-hmm. You know. And I haven't left Japan since um, I was away in March of, of 2020 and, and for vacation and came back. And I just haven't left since then. Mm. But, you know, I'd I'd like to go home at some point. You know, I haven't seen my mom in all that time, right? So,
0: Yeah. Um, Well, we have seen some quarantine measures be made stricter for some returning residents and citizens in the wake of the Omicron variant. So it's not impossible to imagine outright travel bans coming back into place. Right, right. I'd originally planned to ask you about tourism and whether you thought there was going to be any movement there anytime soon, which, you know, now seems like a fairly pointless line of inquiry, but I will bring it up anyway, just to hear your thoughts on it.
2: Right, right. Exactly. Well, you know, and lots of people do ask me. And again, it depends a lot what's happening with this variant. You know, and I'd heard rumors of they'll let people in for cherry blossoms. You know, I'd heard that sort of thing. But yeah, all, all cards are off the table at this point. So, who knows? It just it really depends what happens with this variant, right? And one thing I did want to mention, though, is we talked about the political aspects, and the image that Prime Minister Kishida wants to make. Um, there's also this this issue. You know, my specialty is is kind of Japanese organizations and Japanese culture, and Japanese culture is very, very risk averse. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's significant, you know, we see in this case that Japan is one of the first countries to completely close its borders um, due to this variant, but the fact that in Japan being extra careful is something that culturally people really like, that that I think feeds into all these border restrictions, Mm. that... The, the people want to see the government being extra careful, even if it's over careful. You know, that plays well in Japan. So I feel like there's this cultural aspect as well.
0: well. I mean, when you think along those lines, it makes it seem like, again, we could be back in that situation where these restrictions get extended and extended and extended. You know, they're going to lean more towards keeping the restrictions in place rather than opening things up anytime soon.
2: Yeah, I think so. Because I think with risk-averse organizations, you always want to be careful. And no one wants be, to be the one who makes the decision that leads to a problem. Mm. So better safe than sorry is what risk-averse organizations do. And we see Japanese government is acting completely in accordance with that idea. And the other thing that, you know, just for me, I, I look back and I feel like, oh, this is really a shame, Was because this is such a political issue, they delayed that November 8th announcement. Mm. That really, given how low the numbers had started to become in Tokyo, really, there's no reason why, even in like September, October, that they couldn't have started letting people in. Even if they let in a really small number, they could have started doing the processing but they didn't want to do anything until after the election because it was such a political football. Mm. So I feel like that's really unfortunate, too, in terms of timing. Because, because as soon as the election happened, then they, they announced it, Right. Mm,
0: Right. The election was on Halloween on October 31st, and then the new border policies were announced on November 8th. And the unfortunate result of that delay was this very short window where people could actually get in.
2: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's, It's really, it's so unfortunate.
0: That's the only place to leave it, really, is that this whole situation is incredibly unfortunate. And if you're listening and you have been affected by this, I can only offer my condolences and say that I hope that the situation writes itself. Soon. Well,
2: exactly, exactly, yeah. And, and the thing is, you know, for people who have jobs, you, I think they're just going to wait and they're going to keep doing them remotely. And then their job can help them have an orderly way to get to Japan when it's okay. There's support from the company. I feel like the students are the ones who are in the harder position. Because again, how long as a young person are you going to be waiting? And what's the opportunity cost of your time? Um, for a lot of students, it's not going to make sense to wait any longer. And again, just the fact that there's so many people who were the people who are enthusiastic about Japan, that Japan as, the, as a country should really want to have coming to Japan and experiencing Japan, not be able to, and who instead end up with this incredible grudge or unhappiness against Japan is just a huge soft power, you know, shoot yourself in the foot kind of thing, right?
0: And on that note, thank you very much, Rochelle.
2: Okay, you're welcome.
0: Since recording this episode on Tuesday, the first case of the Omicron variant was confirmed in Japan, when a man in his 30s travelling from Namibia was found to be infected with the strain upon arriving at Narita Airport on Sunday. This morning, the government announced it will ban all foreign inbound travellers from South Africa and nine surrounding countries from Thursday onwards. Later in the day, the Ministry of Transport asked airlines to suspend all new bookings on flights to Japan from one month starting December 1st, describing this as a temporary and exceptional measure until the Omicron strain is better understood. The border situation is changing rapidly, so for all the latest and most up-to-date information on the Omicron variant and its impact upon Japan, head to the Japan Times website at japantimes.co.jp, where my colleagues are covering all the latest developments. Links to useful articles are in the show notes. My guest this week was Rochelle Kopp, Managing Principal at Japan Intercultural Consulting and a regular contributor to the Japan Times. My thanks to her and also to Daniel, who we heard from at the beginning of the episode. That's it for this week. Thanks as always for listening. And until next time, otsukare-sama.